Uh, as I shared before, if you just started coming back to us normally on Wednesday nights, I go through a book of the Bible. Uh, about once a decade, I change that up. And what I'm doing this year, you know, sometimes to do a theological study or doctrinal study, what I'm doing this year through the end of May is we're looking at Christianity in the context of the first century. Really, not so much Christianity, just Jesus and the followers of Jesus in the context of the first century. And I've entitled the beginning of a movement because that's what really happened with Christ. There was a movement, a movement of bringing people back to God. But we need to understand that. And sometimes what we do is we, we, we take the things we read in the New Testament and uh, we read them kind of in a vacuum. We know they happened a long time ago, but we don't understand them. We tend to look at them through the lenses of our eyes and through our context and our culture. And maybe we don't fully grasp things the way we should. And so this is just kind of trying to help uh, understand that context so that when we come to Scripture, we come to God telling us about Jesus, we come to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John talking about Jesus. When we come to the book of Acts, what Luke tells us about the early church, when we come to the letters of Paul, the letters of John, the letter of Peter, when they wrote these things, we can begin to grab something about them in the context that will shed light, help us to understand them, maybe help us move through some of the difficult things that we experience when we come to these passages can be there. And so uh, tonight what we're going to do, and it's, it's, uh, it's a little different, we're going to look at the calling of the disciples. And in, in the four gospels, there's about ten places where we see Jesus calling and sending out the apostles, the disciples. And what, what happens is we just kind of get this feel, this idea when we come to them that, you know, Jesus just shows up and says, come with me. And they come and we don't understand there's something there. And actually, in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, even though they wrote independently of each other, they weave together kind of a story of the calling of these men. And please understand, the calling was a bit of a process. So we're going to start off the first, we're going to, uh, normally I don't, Wednesday I don't have slides, but I'm going to put some slides up there for you. And we're going to start off with the calling of the 12 disciples. It's in Mark 3, Luke 10, actually it's also in Matthew 10, Luke 6 and Matthew 10. I didn't write that up there. And that's just going to stay up there until I go to the next slide. So those of you that are over here that can look at those slides, don't get ahead of yourself. People, every Sunday morning when I'm going, people on this side, they uh, always sneaking glances over, seeing what's next. You shouldn't do that. That's cheating. <laughs> I remember, uh, is Barry in here? No, I'll tell the story about Brian then. Brian, Brian wasn't, wasn't a really good student. And uh, one day on his report card, he brought home an A. And his mama whipped him for cheating because he knew there was no way. Brian was coming up on his own. That was supposed to be about Barry, but Barry's not here, Brian, so I went to you. You were my second in line on that. So here's the thing about the calling of the 12, and I'm not going to go through all those passages, but throw in there. I'm going to begin in, in Mark chapter 3, and uh, in that part of it. And here it is in verse 13. Now I'm going to come back. I'm going to end with this passage tonight also. He says, He went up on the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve so they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out the demons. Now, I'm going to come back to that part in a later. And he says he appointed twelve. Then he names them. Simon, whom he gave the name Peter. And James, the son of Zebedee, and John, who was the brother of James. He called them uh, Boagines of many sons of thunder. And Andrew, by the way, he's the brother of Simon, Peter. Philip and Bartholomew. Bartholomew is also called other places Nathaniel. Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, who was also known as Judas, the son of James, in another place. And Simon the Zealot, and then, of course, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These are the twelve apostles. Now, I want to say this. 
We also times call them the 12 disciples, and that's okay. We know what they mean. But there were a lot more people who were disciples. Sometimes they're just referred to in Scripture as the 12 because they were distinguished. Technically, they are apostles. And it, it, it talks about Jesus sending them out. The word apostle comes from the Greek word apostolos, the noun apostolos, the verb to send, the sent ones. And apostles were people who went on behalf of someone to work or function in their name or for their cause. The 12 apostles were men who went out on behalf of Jesus to achieve something specific. It says it here, and we're going to come back to that. Now, sometimes we look, this is, you know, Mark chapter 3 is well along. When Mark brings these up, we're well into the ministry of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 10, well into the ministry of Jesus. In Luke 6, well into his ministry. We need to understand, though, that the beginning of calling these disciples occurred a whole lot earlier. And so for that, come to John chapter 1, and I'm going to show you about the initial calling of some of his disciples. Now, John chapter 1 is important for a lot of doctrinal reasons. You can change the slide now. For a lot of doctrinal reasons. And, you know, the first part of John chapter 1 talks about the nature of Jesus. And then, you know, it talks about John the Baptist, which we've seen, you know, both on Sunday and here. And then it begins in verse 35. Now, talking about John the Baptist, when it says John, here is John the Baptist. The gospel of John, the author of his gospel, who is the apostle John, never refers to himself. He makes reference of himself vaguely, including here. When he makes reference to himself, he's oftentimes talking about the apostle whom Jesus loved. He doesn't ever really refer to himself by name or in the first person. It says, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. John the Baptist had people who were disciples of him. A disciple is simply someone who follows, who learns, who then teaches what the teacher did. So a disciple would sit at the feet of a teacher, learn, understand, and then go teach those teachings. They may themselves develop them further and have disciples, but that was the process. And then John looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And then, verse 37, the two disciples heard him speak. And notice now. The two disciples began to follow Jesus. So the two disciples of John quit following John to go follow Jesus. It's an important thing. Now, Jesus returned and he saw there, turned around and saw them following, and he said, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is teacher, where are you staying? And he said, Come and you will see. So he's calling these two men to come and follow. They went where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was the tenth hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew. So one of the disciples was named Andrew. The other disciple is never actually named, and most people will tell you, and I believe this, that this is John. He doesn't refer to himself. But I'll tell you in a minute why it was most likely John. Andrew was one of the disciples of John who came to follow Jesus, now, what's important about Andrew, other than the fact that you know, he's an apostle, disciple on his own value, but he has a brother named Simon, Simon Barjona, and that means son of John, Simon, we might say Simon Johnson even. He was Simon, uh, and, and who's also known as Peter, verse 40 says that, and he first found his own brother Simon, and he said to him, we have found, notice this, the Messiah. So Andrew, very early on, this is very early in the ministry of Jesus, has found the Messiah, the one whom they long for. Now, did they fully understand what that meant? No. But he already understands that Jesus is the Messiah, and he will help Peter understand that as well. So he says, we have found the Messiah, which means those two guys were looking for it, looking for the Messiah. 
And so notice what it says. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon the son of John. You should be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. It means rock. So we see two guys at the very early part of Jesus' ministry called to become disciples. They aren't apostles yet. He hasn't designated them as the twelve yet. They are simply followers of Jesus. Disciples in the broadest sense, just like you and I would be disciples. Then the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. And then he found Philip, and he said to Philip, follow me. The basic call of Christ is to follow me. Next week, when I'm preaching out of the series in Mark, and I'm going to come to one of the passages we look at tonight even, where Mark comes to Peter and Andrew and James and John and says, come follow me, and they leave everything to follow him. I will talk about following Jesus as the basic call of faith. But I've said this many times. Christians follow Jesus. They do nothing more, nothing less. At the heart of Christianity is simply that we follow Jesus Christ. If you make it more complicated than that, then you've blown it. You've turned it like, well, on Sunday mornings I talk about this. You've turned it into a religion. That doesn't mean there aren't certain things that we do or believe. I get that. Trust me, I know that. I've been doing this a long time. There are certain things as a follower of Jesus I believe. And certain things as a follower of Jesus I do. But I don't do them to be a follower of Jesus. I do them because I am a follower of Jesus. Because I am a follower of Jesus, I believe certain things. Because I am a follower of Jesus, I live a certain way, theoretically. That's the result of, not the condition of, following Jesus. So it says, Philip, come on. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the same city as Andrew and Peter. Then Philip found Nathanael. Everything, they were really close. And he said to him, we have found him who Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. That is Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, Moses and the prophets didn't call him Jesus. They just talking about a Messiah. We found the Messiah, just like Andrew said. And then Nathanael said to him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? That's because I told you, Sonny, Nazareth just... A little nothing town. Now, I, I usually like to make comparisons. I was afraid to make a comparison to someplace, you know, around this area because we have people come on Sunday from all over. I didn't want to insult them. I was thinking of some places, that places that are no account, don't amount to nothing like Albuquerque, but Albuquerque is a little bit bitter than Nazareth. <laughs> Once I moved to New Mexico and became a Las Crucian. Is that the correct term? Las Crucite? Las Crusonian? Las Crustacean, I don't know what it is. And my wife now works at NMSU. I developed an immediate hatred of Albuquerque. I don't know why. It just, it just, maybe it's in the chilies we eat down here. So where was I? Oh, yeah. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And, and, when, he, and, and, and when he said that, uh, the, you know, Philip said, just come and see. And so Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said, Look, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. He said, Philip, no one can trick you. It's, I know. People have different ideas of that. And to some degree, I think, I honestly think Jesus is just kind of messing with him a little bit. You think you're so smart because I come from Nazareth. Obviously, nobody can deceive you. No one's going to deceive you with someone coming from Nazareth. And he said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus said, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Remember last week when I was talking, a couple weeks ago, actually. And in some of my sermons Sunday, that Jesus' awareness of Messiah began to develop when he was being tempted for 40 days. And at that point, God began to reveal to him what he always was and always had, but the power and knowledge that would always belong to him. But that 
early in his life he didn't exercise that. Well, here you see him exercising the knowledge that comes only with the Messiah. Before you were here, I saw you, Philip. Nathan, I knew who you were. And then Nathan said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. Didn't take much to convince him. You, you knew who I am, and you're the son of God. Jesus said, because I said to you that you were under the fig tree, you believe you will see greater things than this. And truly, truly, I say to you, the heavens open and the angels are sending on the Son of Man. I'm not going to talk about that in this part. Here's the thing. Four guys are set aside, but probably there are actually six. We know that Simon and Andrew, Philip and Nathaniel. But here's the thing. There's a, there's a second disciple he don't mention. If it was Philip, John would tell us it was Philip. Because he told us it was Andrew. Why didn't John tell us who the other disciple is? Most likely it's because it's him. And the reason we say this is because Simon, I mean, Andrew and Peter, Andrew and Simon, and John and James, as we know from other places, and we'll see later, were fishermen. They were in business together fishing. They were connected. In fact, the rest of the time when we see either Peter or or Andrew, we're going to see them connected to either John or James. They're always connected in terms of calling. So, if you take all of the passages and you put them together, there's good reason to believe. And we're going to see that, you know, kind of in the, next, in the next part. There's good reason to believe that Andrew and Peter and James and John were there and that John and Andrew were the two disciples. So right now you've got six guys basically called early on. Now, from this we're going to go see Jesus' basic call to follow, and that's found in the next slide. It's found in Mark 1, Matthew 4, and Luke 5. We're going to look tonight... Uh, after one, I believe, in Mark 1. Or do I want to look at the one in Matthew 4? Let me decide which one I want to look at. Let's go to Matthew 4, verse 18. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter and Andrew, casting a net into the sea. Where they were fishermen. Now it sounds like in Matthew, this is the first time he ever met Simon and Andrew. Like well, he's never met him before, and yet he says he saw him. We know that this occurs later in John. Here's why: if you go up just a little bit, and you see this in Mark 1:14, actually when I preached on it Sunday, uh, it, it says in, in Matthew 4:12, Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody. John the Baptist had been taken into custody. Now John 1. John the Baptist is right there saying to Andrew, that's Jesus. That's the Messiah. So in John 1, it's right there at the beginning of the Baptist ministry. If you read John 1, here, John, here's what you find. In John 1 through 4 are events that occur before this. Jesus, Jesus sees those guys in John 1. He kind of starts his ministry. He goes to the wedding feast of Cana. And then he ends up going to the, to the first Passover in Jerusalem, which is not mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They don't talk about that. Then he kind of goes, and he comes, and he has this thing with uh, uh, Nicodemus, which I'm going to talk about next week. And then after that, he's heading back to Galilee. He sees a Samaritan woman. I'm going to talk about her in two weeks. Then he comes back into Galilee, and this is kind of where this picks up. So what you see in Mark 1, Matthew 4, and Luke 5 is about a year after he has started his ministry. That's how they calculate, because of knowing when he went to the Passover. So reading these carefully, you begin to see this picture. So you have about this year period of time when Peter and Andrew and James and John and Philip and Nathaniel, who is also called Bartholomew, are kind of along with the rest of the people following Jesus. But now something unique begins to happen. 
Now he's in Galilee. And remember this. Andrew and Peter and Philip are from the same town. Probably Nathaniel too because Philip and Nathaniel were close. And then Andrew and Peter are, are fishing buddies with James and John, who, by the way, we know are also the cousins of Jesus. You see how closely connected those six guys are to Jesus. And so here's what we see then. He says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets to follow him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, and, and you know, from both from their father. And they were mending their nets, and he called them, and they left the boat. And their father, and they went. And so these guys left their business. Now, if you just read it, it sounds like Jesus just walked by the Sea of Galilee, saw these four guys, said, come on. And they said, okay, sure, why not? We'll just come follow you. We, got, we don't know who you are. We'll follow you. Well, that doesn't make much sense. I know Jesus is powerful, and he has a pull, and he has an attraction. But come on. If you read through the scriptures, this is what you see. You see, Jesus has been doing stuff for about a year. He has already call these guys in a very general sense. And now he's calling them specifically to come and follow him. And they abandon everything to do that. In two weeks, I'm going to preach that from Mark about the importance of what it means to follow him, to abandon everything. So right now, you've got at least six guys. And there's six more to go. Now, I read about them earlier from Mark. And when I read about those guys... You know, these are the six kind of most prominent, but there's one more that we know something about. There's, there's like five guys we don't hardly know anything about, four in particular. But there's at least seven guys we get some information about their calling. And the next one is a guy named Matthew. And the calling of Matthew is found in uh, Mark chapter 2, Matthew 9, and Luke 5. I'm going to go to Luke 5. doesn't really matter, but this way I feel like I've touched on all four Gospels, and I feel like I've done a good job. Now, Matthew is also known as Levi. He is the source of the gospel of that bears his name. Now, here's what we know about Levi. And he went and he noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he left everything behind and got to follow Jesus. Now, I'm going to make an assumption that's dangerous to do. It's always dangerous to assume things from silence and scripture. I don't normally do that. But since Jesus already, we know, had contact, contact, with Peter, Andrew, James, John, Nathaniel, Philip, before he called them, we might assume a little bit that he had some contact with Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. Now, things weren't much different back then. First place, do I have anybody in here that works with the IRS? Would you lift your hand up if you work with the IRS? Good, then I can say whatever I feel like. You, you, you might work for them anyways, it just wouldn't raise your hand up. <laughs> That's, and I wouldn't blame you. We don't like... The IRS tax people today. I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. I knew I had one guy in my church that, that worked for the IRS. It, he was just a shifty. I didn't trust him. He was worse, worse than that. He was a deacon. Can you imagine? Guy's both a deacon and worked for the IRS, and you've got to put some degree of confidence in what he thinks. They hated tax collectors back then. I mean, those were Jewish guys that turned on the piece. Here's how taxes worked back then. Rome said, I want some, Caesar sent it, I want so much money from that area. So they went to the guys governing that area and said, you got to collect so much money. And those guys said, okay, but i gotta make, we got to make some more money than that. So we're going to collect what Caesar wanted. Then we got to collect some more. It's like a value-added tax. You know what a value-added tax is? Google it up after we're through. And so we're going to collect more so I can pocket some cash. 
and also so we can collect taxes. And they did, did this through local tax collectors. And among the Jewish people, they would get out other Jews. And then what the Jews would do is they would collect all the taxes. Then they got to collect money for themselves, and they got unbelievably rich. And so that's how they made the money. That's how Zacchaeus in the story, Zacchaeus, the little guy climbing up in a sycamore tree, he made all his money collecting taxes. So you can imagine how much they despised because they would just rip them off all over the place. And they call, Jesus calls Matthew. It calls him Levi, and he probably had to change his name just so Levi could come with him. Said, you're Levi, we're going to call you Matthew because everybody knows you're a tax collector. We're calling you Matthew. Can you imagine how the other guys felt, you know, having this guy hanging around them? Yet he did. And so he calls Matthew. And the first thing they do when he calls Matthew is he goes to Matthew's house, and he has other people show up to eat. So here you have, you have now this kind of nucleus guy. He says, follow me, follow me, follow me. And so you have Peter, and Simon, who's Simon. You have Andrew's brother, James and John, Philip and Nathaniel. And then you have Matthew. Now, let's go back to Mark chapter 3. And I'm going to show you something. And then we're going to make some comments that will be just, you know, Super spiritual, I hope. Go to verse 16. He appointed the 12. Talk about 12. Simon, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew. All of them are from Galilee. Six of them are closely connected. Either they're in the same hometown or they're in the fishing business together. Maybe all of that. Then he calls these guys Thomas, who is called Didymus the twin in other places. And then he, some think he's maybe close to Matthew. There's Alphaeus, Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot. Now, without going into a lot of reasons why, from all the things we know in the different passages and knowing their names, there's, there's belief that, that uh, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, and Simon were all related. There's strong evidence that they were connected as either brothers or cousins. Especially when we know that Thaddeus was also known as uh, Judah, uh, the son of James, not this James, but a different James. And so here's the thing you need to get. These 11 guys were all from the same area, Galilee. I mean, it's like Jesus, he's going to change the world, and he calls 11 guys, and they're all from Las Cruces. And, 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 and they know each other. You know, and, 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 and when, I lived, when I was pastoring in a small town of Bridgeport, one of the things you quickly learn is that most people who have spent most of their life in Bridgeport are related, they're connected. You know, they're all, they're all cousins somehow. There's like three families. They're all cousins, which explains some of the health problems they had down here in, um, in Bridgeport. I can say that. <laughs> but, 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 and so he got all this connection. And then there was one guy who was on the outside. He was from Judea, the area of Jerusalem. He was Judas Iscariot. And as, as Matthew makes sure we know, he was the traitor. Because, like, we don't know that already from reading this. And, and he was the outsider of outsiders. By the way, he was the one that kept the money. Do you ever wonder why the treasurer of the group wasn't Matthew, the tax collector? Let's <laughs> you know, let the tax collector hold the money. No, I don't think so, man. We ain't doing that. <laughs> Can't trust that guy. Let's give it to the outsider. We can trust Judas. And so they had it. Now, here's the thing I want you to see. Let's go back to the first part in verse 13. We're, we're well into his ministry. Okay, Jesus is well into what he's doing. He, 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 he's, he's, he's doing his thing. He appointed 12. They would be with him. He had a whole bunch of people, and he appointed 12. That they would, notice, be with him 
and he could send them out to preach. So what did he do with these 12 apostles? He, took, he had a bunch of disciples, and he took the disciples. There were a bunch of people. And he took 12 and said, I want you guys to come and hang with me for a while. And then after you've hung with me for a while, and they didn't know it yet, but after he died and was raised back to life, I'm going to send you guys out. This is the thing. And you guys are going to be the start of a movement that's going to change the world. Those 12 guys. Those, and one of them is going to be out, Judas. It's actually going to be 11. 11 guys who lived right by each other, who were related to each other, who worked with each other, who were all just there. Those, and, and listen, those 12 guys are going to go and they're going to make a movement. It's going to change the world. And this is what Jesus says you're going to do. You're going to preach. And you're going to preach. Well, he's going to preach about the And then you're going to have an authority to cast out demons. And that's crazy. We can't even imagine that. In fact, a lot of times people want to ignore that. But this is what that means. The casting of the demons, the important thing isn't casting the demons. The important thing is they're going to have an authority to confront the evil that is in the world. You're going to preach about me, and I'm giving you an authority to deal with all the evils in that world. And you're going to, you're going to confront that evil. And you're going to preach. And the world's going to be changed. And when you come to Acts chapter 1, and Jesus, Jesus is leaving. I mentioned this Sunday in my message. You get a little preview. Jesus is leaving. I mean, he's going. He's going. He's, he's, he's been died, been resurrected. He's done all he can do. And they're saying, uh, we know you're going, but is this the time you're going to establish the kingdom of Israel just so we can know that? He's like, man, what are you talking about? I'm not establishing the kingdom of Israel. He says, here's what's going to happen. The power of the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to start in Jerusalem. Then you're going to go to G and Samaria, and then you go to the rest of the world. And then he's gone. And ten days later, the Holy Spirit comes. And the world is changed. We, we tend to take for granted the calling of these men. We tend, we tend to kind of say, okay, we, you know, we... Each of the Gospels has something, and some things look like they conflict, and sometimes you read so-called experts who talk about the conflicting narratives that they have, and they got them from different sources. There's no conflicting narrative. There's no different sources. Matthew understands. Matthew wrote Matthew. John wrote John. They know what happened. You know why they know what happened? Because they were there. And what you see is this story of Jesus gathering some people together investing in them, calling them, and then when he knows which ones are the right ones, he sends them out to do the impossible, to change the world. Eleven guys, because Judas goes, eleven guys are going to receive the Holy Spirit. And I realize other people are in the upper room, I get all that. Eleven guys are going to go. And along the way, they're going to add this other guy named Paul. And these guys are going to go And they're going to take the gospel all over that part of the world. (laughs) And before the end of the book of Acts, which is about 30 years after Jesus has ascended, the gospel is all over the Roman world. And by 312, Jesus Christ, the Christianity, is the defining movement in the world at that time. Because the 12 guys, 11 really, Hanging around from Galilee. Now, here's some things we need to realize. 
And as I look at those things, and I say, what, is, what does that tell me? Well, there's some things that it tells me that are important. One, it's unbelievable. It is absolutely unbelievable when you think of it that God, through Christ, with the power of the Holy Spirit, took these 11 guys. There's nothing remarkable. I mean, you're not, I mean, Paul would come along. Paul was absolutely brilliant. One of the most brilliant men who ever lived was Paul. But these guys were pretty unremarkable. I mean, most of them were fishermen. It was a decent living, but I've known a lot of fishermen. Listen, fishermen are not remarkable people. Most of them have trouble getting their facts straight. You know what I mean? I caught, a, I caught 12 fish this size. No, you didn't. You caught four and three of them got away. And then you got a, you got a tax guy. And, these, and Christ used these guys. And so here's the thing. We need to understand that Christ can use anyone to change the lives of people. We worry too much as followers of Jesus of trying to go into the culture and change the culture by changing laws and, and morals and, and, you know, and, and, and way people think. When what we need to understand is God changes the culture through people. God enacts change in the world through people who follow him. It's an amazing thing. They didn't, they didn't get together and work and protest you know, and, and get people elected and say, if we do all these things, we can change. They all died but John. I mean, they, they, they basically ended in failure because every one of them, except for John, died serving Christ. And you know, when they died, not much, by the time they died, not much had happened. For some of them, never even, James, the bro, James never saw a thing. He's the first one dead. He got nothing done except he died. And yet these guys... Change people. That's what God does. That's what it is to, to be a follower of Christ. To be a Christian isn't about a religion. Now listen, there are certain things that I believe. And certain those, and things I believe are rock solid. I get that. I believe them. Trust me. But what I believe is that near as important is who I believe in. That is what transforms people's lives. And when we understand that believing in Christ and following his call upon our life, that's what transforms us. That is what will transform other people as well. And the beautiful thing, as I see this, is the simplicity of all of this. Jesus just says, come follow me. And they followed him. And the call upon our life is to follow Jesus wherever he takes us. None of those guys ever expected to do what they did. Even when they were hanging around Jesus, they they thought Jesus was going to establish the kingdom and they'll be a part of it. It wasn't until he was gone and they realized it's up to us. They never expected the path they followed. But they followed the path anyway. Because they follow Christ. And so the thing for all of us that I think is so important, especially in in the life of our our church, as important as it is for us, we're Southern Baptists, as important for it is for us, you know, what we believe matters. I get that. And what we practice, we're going to baptize. That's important. We don't sprinkle babies because that's wrong. We baptize believers because that's the way it's done. That is important. 
But what is important is not the baptism. What is important is the person who trusted Christ so that we now baptize her. Baptism is only important. It only matters if the person who's baptized follows Jesus. When we understand that people following Jesus matters, we will see people follow Jesus like never before. That is what makes it so important. It is the lesson of the calling of the disciples. The call to follow. It's a process. It can get messy. It can get complicated. It is what we do. Well, this time, drummer boy, come on up. Ryan's going to lead us in a time of worship. And we're going to celebrate one of the great joys of life. Somewhere, hopefully, Joe is ready. And we're going to celebrate the great. And Madison, we're so proud of you. And God bless. We're so thankful. And uh, I'll just turn it over to you two guys. Well, church, I don't know if you've ever been here when we've done a baptism. But this is a celebration of what God has done. Amen? Amen. We're going to just proclaim this together. away my sin nothing but the blood of Jesus what can make me whole again nothing but the blood of Jesus oh precious is the flow that makes me white as snow But the blood of Jesus For my part in this I see Nothing but the blood of Jesus For my cleansing this my plea Nothing but the blood of Jesus Oh, precious is the flow That makes me white as snow Oh, no other fount I know Nothing but the blood of Jesus Madison Bellstone and I'm in seventh grade. I want to get baptized because I want to show people that I believe in Christ and I think my mom is probably the one who led me to Christ the most. So thank you. We're gonna get there in just a second. All right, this is Madison. Uh, Madison is kind of special to us because she's one of our staff kids, and I don't know if you know much about our staff, but 
We're kind of all family, so it's really neat that I get to be here, Madison, with you and celebrate baptism with you. You're also a great friend of my kids. They absolutely love you, and uh, it's just exciting for all of us to be here and watch you get baptized because you've given your life to Christ. So it is my privilege as your brother in Christ to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Give him praise. God bless you. You're dismissed. Thanks for joining us.